I'm Alan Watt, going through the matrix with you, cutting through the matrix, just showing you how audacity, doing that unexpected, doing something that no one, especially great multitudes, would ever believe would win the day if you were bold enough to try it. And that's what these characters at the top do. It's unthinkable that people within your own system at the top, powerful people, family dynasties, foundations, could be in collusion to harm you in any way at all. And yet they have been their whole existences. They gave you the culture that helped destroy the old culture. You'll find that most families today are dysfunctional if you even have any families. And governments have taken over the roles that families once worked out for themselves. People don't take care of themselves anymore. Even people within their own families will say, well, there's an agency for this or an agency for that, or there's always welfare. And that's what they wanted a long time ago because Bertrand Russell said it to himself back in the 1930s and 40s and repeated it in the 50s. He said that the family unit was obsolete. It would have to go. It would stand between an individual and their government when the government talked down to the individual. They wanted a system where no one would stand around you. You'd be on your own. You'd feel helpless and you'd begin to love Big Brother. So the, the family had to be abolished. And again, you can read that in Anthony Sutton's book, Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution, to find out how the big bankers of the West with permission, mind you, they didn't do on their own, with permission of the big foundations and the, the interlocking departments of governments that we don't even know about generally, worked together to bring about the Soviet system, a great testbed, a great testbed. It was also the dialectical approach because you toss a coin, you've got heads or tails. And so communism was designed to be the antithesis of capitalism. And out of that, you have the two of them joining. It's called the third way. Plato talked about it too. And other authors have even brought up books called the third way or wave. And that's the joining of capitalism and communism, where all the big lessons that were learned from both are put together into a new system with the fascists at the top, untouchable, but masses of bureaucrats, armies of them, with armies to back them up, of police, paramilitary organizations, and so on running the people down below. That's the beautiful new system. And Mr. Gorbachev, who was the president of the Soviet Union, and who actually applied and got his permission to run his green little flag outside the Presidio in the U.S. to help save the world, before, before he left his presidency office as, as the top man, and the top of the KGB too, by the way, he was given permission and the license was granted in California. And he gave a last speech to the Politburo, Eric Margolis, from the Toronto Sun newspaper, wrote the whole speech out for the public, and you should look it up in the Toronto Sun's archives, Eric Margolis. And what Gorbachev said to the Politburo is that shortly you will hear that communism is dead and finished. Don't believe it. We're simply moving into the next phase. How did he know that? Well, his co-parts on the other side, on the capitalist side, had said it's time. It's time we merge the two systems and put them together. This is also 
backed up by the writings of the top think tank, the premier think tank for these organizations, for world government, for mind control, you might say, the ones who really design the, the future, especially the cultural part and what you believe and think and so on. And that's called the Club of Rome. The Club of Rome is one of the many foundations, but one of the biggest ones uh, that comes up with ideas of fooling the public to come together in a global society. In their own book published by the Club of Rome, the two founders boast about all the different things they've got, every scenario they thought out and had beaten through to find out ways to bring the public together in, in an obedient fashion, obey the authorities in a world without war, because they found that war was the only time where people really obeyed and, and went along with everything because of fear, fear of their own annihilation. And they said we'd have to find a new enemy in this particular book. And they thought about everything. Could they convince the public of, of even a, an attack from outer space? And they, they certainly could do it with enough indoctrination, sci science fiction, etc. And then anything would be made possible. But no, they thought the easiest way eventually was to create an idea that humans were killing the planet and they would call it global warming. This was published in 1970s. The First Global Revolution is the name of the book. Get it. You get it uh, on one of these used booksellers' uh, websites for about 75 cents. And there's an omission right in there. That's what they came up with. And so ultimately, they could tell the public that people, humans, were the enemy, the new enemy, and they'd have to fight all that humans did and governments would have to take over every facet of your life. And by God, are they ever pushing that stuff now? It's been pushed like crazy since the walking allegory of Al Gore was put up in front to help lead this particular uh, new organization, this global organization. They'll eventually, be, eventually it will merge with the Green Party. You wait and see. And it will, it will be the one that takes over the world and gives the indoctrination to the children and gives us a whole new reality. They'll grow up in a new reality, believing everything they're told, never knowing the past, because real history goes down George Orwell's memory hole, but it's of no use, or it could be dangerous. That's the kind of world we live in, a world of culture creation, idea creation, where your reality is given to you, formulated to you. And, and back in the 80s, the same Zygmunt Brzezinski, Luke came up, very more powerful man, who deals with psychotronic warfare, you know, the type that they use from Alaska and Greenland and 50-odd other bases across the planet, scalar weaponry. The United Nations has a, a treaty signed in the 1970s by all countries who have this technology. It's old technology, by the way. And in the, in the treaty, it tells you they can create quite easily tsunamis anywhere, earthquakes. They can create hurricanes, tornadoes, even guide them to their destination. And most of all, most importantly of all, they can use a secondary signal and beam it across entire continents and make the people placid or make them agitated or depressed or tired. Manipulation of the mind. And Zygmunt Brzezinski mentions this in his book, The Technotronic Era, in the chapter entitled between two ages, or actually the book is between two ages, and the chapter is the technotronic era. 
get a hold of it. I got a hold of it years ago from a library. I generally don't buy books. I just read them in the library and walk out. And uh, it's much cheaper that way. And it's simply too many books to read, but that's a must, a must read. And get that book. You'll see that he boasts about the fact that it would eventually be used on entire populations who would be completely unaware, completely unaware that their mood swings, their frame of mind was being purposely designed for them by technotronic weaponry. And it is being used today. Look up uh, Mr. Teller, the scientist. Uh, Mr. Teller was the man who invented the H-bomb and who was a gung-ho to get his name up in the history books even more. He wanted to spray the entire planet with aluminum oxide and barium and other particles in order to make it into a conductive circuit so that this harp technotronic-type weaponry could be used more efficiently. It would cover vast areas, and it could use more powerful signals. HARP has been beaming 24 hours a day for the last seven years now, and you can pick them up on certain shortwave frequencies. So I'm talking about the fact they're, they're using this on us. It's being used, and I get calls in every day from people who are being sprayed from the sky. I see it myself. I've got thousands of photographs from all over the world. Uh, that was ratified by the Open Sky Treaty. There's two versions, one for commercial, one for military. It's the military one that you want to look into. Very little about this treaty has been disclosed to the public. It is printed little paragraphs in newspapers when they first did it. But it allows foreign pilots even to come in. It was, it was updated uh, three years ago where foreign pilots even can come in and use your military aircraft to go over your airspace. They didn't specify why. But we're being sprayed like bugs. And sometimes when the spraying is very, very heavy, you'll notice that the public are like flies on a hot summer's day. They're just staggering around. There are no expressions. They're tired all the time. Bronchial problems have skyrocketed incredibly and ask any pharmacist he'll tell you what's most popular at that time and it's generally stuff to do with bronchodilators because people are coming down with the effects of it that's the world we're living in a scientifically controlled world where even our thoughts even the things we like in this scientific control world are given to us let's say Al Gore uh, is not a great conversationalist he's not a great talker and his books are ghostwritten for him, as are they all for the ones at the top. Even the scripts they, they read off are written by scriptwriters, professional scriptwriters. And they're just front men themselves with very big paychecks because they always get jobs for the boys, even the wayward ones of the better families. They have to get something for them to do, and they do like a little bit of status. Now, where's it all going from here? Well... They gave us all the internet. And I remember the hype when computers first came out because Britain at that time was going through massive unemployment. and been going through unemployment since World War II and right through the 70s into the 80s. And what they hadn't told the public, but have now declassified officially, yes, they had planned in 1945 and signed treaties at the United Nations in 46 that they would de-industrialize over the next 40, 50 years. But the public were not to be told that it was an official policy. And sure enough, year after year, the suicide rate went up and people were, had no jobs. Uh, the, the, the factories pulled out and they didn't tell them where they were going. They also declassified recently that the Amalgamation Treaty for Europe was set, the department in Britain was set up in 1948, 
a, a select panel of bureaucrats who worked on it consistently, and it said at the end of the report it was declassified only about four years ago, now that it's all over and done by. They said that the public must not be told about this, it must not be admitted this is an amalgamation of the country with other countries until it's all over and done. So in other words, they lie. And all through the 70s, 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, Prime Ministers would always have little quips in newspaper where they went over to France or Germany and they would say they were cementing closer ties. The same terminology that's now being used when we see the three amigos meet from Mexico, Canada and the United States of America, sign a little agreements. They have about four more to sign up to 2010, or actually three, and uh, three more agreements to sign, and then it's a done deal. But at the free trade negotiations in the late 80s, it actually came out. They talked about even a new capital, because you must have a new capital, you see, that runs the whole show for the continent, and that they said that the best bet at that time was Montreal. That was all official stuff at that time. We are living through an agenda. We are living through a business plan. The world itself is run on one huge, incredible business plan. Once you understand business plans, it starts to make sense to you as they take over country after country after country. And those countries that would not join this, they decided back in the early 1900s, actually the late 1800s even, would have to be eliminated one way or another. Those people of different races, and at that time John Stuart Mills and others were talking about Africa, for instance. They said those who would not mimic the white man's work ethics would have to perish. Those who would, would actually, those amongst them who could mimic the white man uh, would be allowed to come through. And we know what's happening to Africa. They've been coming down pretty badly with various kinds of diseases that just suddenly break out. And AIDS is having a tremendous toll, especially on the young. And all they have there is, is moonshine that they make. They have, their, they have their little stereos, and they listen to all the much music stuff that's sent over by the West. And they just have sex all the time and pass the AIDS virus around. Documentaries have shown this, and it's uh, an awful, awful situation. But they said they'd take Africa down quick. For the West, for depopulation, they'd have to bring down aging and crippling diseases to make you unfit for as a marriage partner or mate partner. And that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing young people come down with even crippling arthritis. Juvenile arthritis is on the increase. Our immune systems are down. Our fertility rate is down. And we've gradually been brought down slowly to back after these following messages. Six feet four He fights with missiles And with spears He's all of Thirty-one and he's Only seventeen He's been a soldier for a thousand Years 
He's a Catholic, a Hindu, an atheist, a Jain, a Buddhist and a Baptist and a Jew. And he knows he shouldn't kill, and he knows he always will. Kill you for me, my friend, and me for you. And he's fighting for Canada, he's fighting for France, he's fighting for the USA. And he's fighting for the Russians, and he's fighting for Japan, and he thinks we'll put an end to war this way. And he's fighting for democracy, he's fighting for the Reds, he says it's for the peace of all. He's the one who must decide who's to live and who's to die, and he never sees the writing on the wall. But without him, how would Hitler have condemned him at Laval? Without him, Caesar would have stood alone. He's the one who gives his body as a weapon of the war, and without him, all this killing can't go on. He's the universal soldier, and he really is to blame. His orders come from far away no more. They come from here and there, and you and me, and brothers, can't you see? This is not the way we put the end to war. Hi, folks. Alan Watt back with Cutting Through the Matrix. And you can't really say much more than that song because that's part of the problem. The elites in all ages have known how tribalism works. And they use it to good effect, especially when they're taking down societies and breaking the bonds of families, etc. Because every tyrant in history knows that the young want a strong leader. You find that in, in American cities too, where many areas, there's single moms there, the young guy has no father figure, he feels pretty, he's generally low in income bracket too, he feels helpless and useless, and he eventually is adopted by the local gang, the gang leader becomes his father figure, and that's who he gives his all for. It's the same in the military, they generally recruit from the lowest strata, who have no, no power within society, they're called nobodies by the system, they're treated as nobodies by the system, given no respect, and suddenly they're told if they put a uniform on, everyone will respect them, and they'll be heroes, instant heroes, and then they're taught to go off and kill, and those at the top who tell them to go off and kill wrap themselves up in the tribal emblems of whatever flag or symbols that you have, and it works every time. That's how it works. Very, very, very simple techniques, and unfortunately young men are not mature, they're not very bright, they're too young to be bright, they're run by hormones, and they haven't enough life's experience to figure things out, and so they go and do what they're told, but they're also conditioned to kill by be, being desensitized, and also the video games that we play today are meant to desensitize them even further, these were first designed by the military in World War II of all periods, in fact, they had, had the gun setups then for aircraft and these fighters would just flash past you and it was all to get you to shoot without thinking and they did the same eventually with the military they found this in the American Civil War that when they picked up the, the muskets uh, only 15% of either sides of the dead 
had actually fired them. You have to train people to kill by desensitization. It's not natural for normal people to kill each other, so they have to actually train you to do it by desensitization. And these techniques are very, very successful. You will find, too, that since they introduced the video games around 20 years ago or more, I knew then, I said to myself, now these were for the military, why are they giving them to young children and making such a big thing of it? Because we, again, mimic everything we're taught to mimic by the media. And it became very popular. They're also addictive. And the children are learning from an early age that that's not a person, that's a thing. And the object for the game is to get from here to there and kill as many as possible. And I knew they were going to breed a generation up for the military for the last push on the world as they standardized the one system worldwide that's that's what's on right now and when they sent over the troops to the middle east the second time gulf war two i knew then and i thought to myself when i saw uh, american soldiers and marines with their shirts off dancing to rap on the deck of a ship all having fun i thought we're sending in trained barbarians into one of the oldest civilizations on the planet. And that's what's happened, unfortunately. We can be made to believe anything with the power of propaganda and scientific persuasion. The universal soldier has always been a problem because before standing armies came along, it was hard for a big bully boy to get a few guys together, maybe skirmishes and little raids, but they couldn't take over other areas very easily because guys got fed up and went home eventually. But when money came along and they could actually create standing armies, then they'd go off and conquer on behalf of some big tyrant, some big psychopath with big ambitions like Alexander the Great, who was heavily, heavily funded by some of the ancient bankers of the ancient world. And you find, in fact, that Aristotle was his tutor. And it's no coincidence Aristotle was sent to teach him because it was all part of the ancient agenda, even back then, a world system. As I say, Plato wrote about it in the book called The Republic. is still ongoing today. These psychopaths want to be king of the world, and they're on their way to doing it now. You'll find so many on the top emulate everything that the ancients wrote about. And you realize that even after, even after the, the Egypt took in many people to teach, many students to teach, there were many revolutions all over the world. And these revolutions were caused by ones who were sent out of Egypt, been taught there, and went back to their home countries. Most of the Greek aristocracy, in fact, were all taught in Egypt. But when they went back to their own countries or wherever they were told to go and settle, they'd start schools based on secrecy and codes of silence, sometimes five years of silence, just like a monastery. The, the Catholic Church adopted that same system with the monks much later on, but they had it prior to that in the days of Pythagoras, who was also taught in Egypt, and who, who also was found to be agitating the young to cause revolutions. Ancient ideas still ongoing today that attract psychopathic types into working along this particular agenda. And they're going full steam ahead today. We're also taught to look for the hero figure in all of this. Now, Britain, when democracy came up, which they gave us, by the way, the whole idea of democracy, which was a very good con game, 
they knew that the public would eventually overthrow them if they didn't give them or appear to give them rights of some kind or another. And they found that they could quell rebellions every four or five years or six at the most, and eventually they'd have another one. So they came up with a democracy where you could then vote someone in every four or five years with the understanding that something would change. And with democracy, something does. You get the last lot of tyrants out who have filled their pockets, and you're really voting in a new bunch with hope, lots of hope. You keep your fingers crossed, only to see the same thing happen again. Why does the same thing happen again? Because there's only one agenda. And Professor Carl Quigley said himself, he said, it's not important that we, the Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute of International Affairs, it's not important that we own every politician. We only always own the man at the top and his coterie of advisors around him. That's all you need. I'll be back after these messages. Demand. This is We the People Radio Network. Hi, folks. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, cutting through the matrix and just giving you little insights into those things which you take as being normal because of your conditioning and showing you that nothing, nothing in fact is normal. It's all planned that way. Things are planned that way. And before I go on to this caller, I should really stress that this is the bad news. This is the bad news because culture has been taken down. The last culture we had has been taken down. The families are in disarray. Mainly, there's a few left here and there that, that semi-function. Other ones are completely dysfunctional. And that was all intentional. It was intended that we destroy the family. It was in the Communist Manifesto. It was also in, in many writings of the West, including those of Bertrand Russell and others. It had to be done so the government could talk right down to you. Big Brother would talk down to you, just like the, the movie uh, 1984, the British version, where the camera in your room watched you and a, and a woman would come on and tell you to exercise. You, yes, you, number so-and-so. That's what they want. There's no one around you to stand up for you. You feel isolated on your own. That's what's happening today and it's coming down to that. And the Internet, unfortunately, is actually helping to promote that. That's why they gave us it in the first place. It's the net. You're caught in the neb. The net, just like the fish, and it's a big web. You get stuck on the web. There's always a spider who owns that web. Remember that. Now, I think we have Richard in North Carolina. Are you there, Richard? Hello, Richard, are you there? Richard in North Carolina? Hello? Do you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, yeah. Uh, I think my headset has a bad wire in it. Sorry about okay. that. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah, do you have something, question to ask for... Well, comment. I've enjoyed listening to you tonight, and I hadn't listened to you before, although I'd been to your website. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, yours is a more thoughtful commentary than many that I hear. Um, I'm, uh, however, feeling a bit pessimistic these days about uh, any hope of really changing the matrix as it seems to be. And uh, I was wondering if you have any concrete suggestions about things that individuals might do. Yeah. Well, right now, we have no choice of individuals who understand what has been happening. And here's the problem. I've always explained this to people uh, over the years. The British Intelligence Service and the CIA, because they do fund big-time authors and promote them heavily, they gather what they call intelligence. Intelligence happens to be people who are giving facts out, documentable facts, and they get these guys to write it into books and mix it with science fiction. And when people hear that stuff and it's promoted, their names become pretty well known. So when you come up with the basic facts, they add on to all the farce that they've read as well or heard about, and they throw the truth out with the, bath, with the baby out with the bathwater. That's how you, that's called counterintelligence. And so I, I tell people, don't, don't go into all this conspiracy stuff. You don't have to. It's published. H.G. Wells called it and published the book called The Open Conspiracy. It says everything that we want to do has been published, and it has been. There's no aliens in here. There's no walking crocodiles or anything like that. All the stuff that's the counterintelligence, there's only basic facts, the facts that you can see for yourself and have been verified as well by the books put out by the big players themselves. It's no secret. It's also no secret that it doesn't take the whole planet to suddenly change its mind and go along with it either. You, it's always up to the few. A society is changed or deflected from its course by the few who understand and who demand answers. I tell people, don't waste your time on those who are in the matrix, in the land of the dead. You have to get those who are asking questions. And primarily I try to aim at the younger ones because those are the ones who still have a chance to do something. They're going to go through the brunt of it. They're the ones who are going to really steer the course of this. And they haven't been so jaded or beaten down by life in itself, so depressed that they sit back waiting for a pension uh, quietly. No, they're, they're active and they, they have the right to guide the direction that they, of the world that they want to grow up and, and live in. That's what they have. So I aim towards those and try to give them as much encouragement and knowledge as I possibly can. I can imagine that one of the problems for the youth, though, at least within the American system at the moment, and I'm sure elsewhere, is that they kind of get dumbed down by the process of education. Yes, it's a scientific indoctrination. Again, I'd read the book. It was put out by Lord Bertrand Russell, who taught both the communist side. He was sent over from Britain to, to start up communism in China. He wrote about it in his own biography. And he, he started up an experimental school, one of the first experimental schools, where they tried to encourage all the things that we saw break out in the 60s. Uh, they, they told them to have sex, in fact, make schools pre-puberty, in fact, to see if they could... Uh, the more sexual um, progression they could have pre in puberty, uh, the less chance there would be to have a mate for life down the road because he thought then, like the rest did, and he says this in his memoirs, we thought we would have to separate the child from the parents or they'd be contaminated by old ideas. It says now we find out if we can give them a scientific indoctrination at the age of two in kindergarten, then it's more economical to allow the parents to still pay for them, but we shall give them all of their thoughts. So it's a scientific indoctrination, you're quite right. 
In addition to that aspect, it certainly also helped eliminate any structure that people might belong to that would be opposed to or in contradiction to the mm-hmm. um, the bad coming from the powers that be. And that's correct. Uh, the, the culture, again, because people think it's all natural and, and because of, they have been taught, and Russell also said this, he says, we, should, we shall create a world where the average person will be unable to think for themselves. They'll, they'll rely upon expert advice. And you can't even turn on the weatherman without some expert popping in and telling you how to dress that day. Uh, it's all training you not to think for yourself. Zygmunt Brzezinski said in his own book, uh, Between Two Ages, he said that shortly the public will be unable to reason for themselves. Uh, they'll only be able to, to talk about the subjects given to them on the previous night's news. And unfortunately, that's happened. It's worked with most people. You, you, you see it right away when you have conversations with people. Uh, if you tell them something that should be visible to them, like the spraying overhead, uh, they'll dismiss it immediately because it's not coming across the mainstream news. Therefore, it cannot be important. One of the best things I ever did, and I did it quite inadvertently, but I've maintained it now for about two years, is to not watch television, which has actually helped a whole lot. Yes, and there's no doubt about it. You know, Margaret Thatcher, when she was in power, uh, another woman who admitted at the Massey Hall lecture in Toronto that the lecture was called the New World Order. This is back in the in the 80s. Uh, She said uh, we. She said that she belonged to a parallel government comprised of the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations. She says, we do the real work behind the scenes, and, and they all know each other. But, but she herself was caught putting out ads on television, subliminals on the BBC, and that was a big scandal at the time. Well, all television now has subliminals in it, even the fictional uh, things that you watch, not just the ads, and it is uh, affecting the people in ways they don't understand. It's a scientific indoctrination, remember. That's what the big boys called it themselves. And, uh, you know, I have viewed it as rather a large PSYOP going on for a very long time, certainly before the formation of the CIA, but that's after that is the part that I've looked at the most. Yes, and and you see, what they had with the Anglo-American establishment was an establishment from the very foundation of the, uh, the U.S., uh, they, they had their establishment already up and working. And if you read the writings of Elihu Yale that started up, uh, Yale, they put the money down for Yale University. When he did it before the revolution, long before the revolution, he said, we shall ensure that the men who come from this, this university shall rule the country forever. And they meant that. And Elihu Yale was one of the founding members of the British East India Company, uh, that made billions of, 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 of dollars over, the, over the, those particular years, even back then. They were also the guys, all the present fellows at the top that you see in the U.S. government, including their oppositions, including Kerry and the Bushes and so on. These bonesmen were all, uh, their the grandfathers and great-grandfathers were all involved in flooding India with opium during the opium wars. And they'll use any dirty trick to bring a country down to their knees. And they flooded India, um, I mean China, with bales. They put thousands of bales along the, the shores um, of China every day to get the people hooked on it and then bring the people down as the, as the people uh, become addicted to the, the opium. Then they gave their terms to the Chinese rulers. Uh, there's no trick low enough for them, and they've never been out of the drug trade because they believe they have the right to rule us in any way they want to. 
I'll be back after the following messages. And, and that's how simple it is to 
to put out predictive programming, but they also put out uh, bigger ideas, ideas where changes in society come along, even the brain chips, all through science fiction movies, all now since the Loyola meeting when the world scientists got together to discuss, discuss the coming brain chip, how it's all ready to go, and they actually said at Loyola, that's in Louisiana, they said that uh, the only thing they have to do now is, is get the work, the writers working for fiction works to put it into comics, into cartoons, and into movies, make it exciting so the children, the youngsters will want it. So this is all ready to go. And, and, and you realize that it's primarily fictional works that, that, uh, that put down the censor part of your brain. Uh, right. And, and you, you don't realize you've just been programmed with an idea. Whereas if you went through a scenario in your own life without that programming, you might come to a different conclusion or do a different thing in a particular instance of your life. Well, if you uh, see it in the movie, you'll emulate what the hero did. I have... Uh a theory uh, based on some readings that I've done that one can actually program their own uh, subconscious yes uh, and not allow the you know these evil powers uh, to uh, do it for you now it's uh, and it's not very difficult but nevertheless and I don't want to get into it but I just want to ask you can one actually program their own mind and what would be the fundamental steps that a person could take to do that sort of thing well, I did it growing up. I realized what it was all about. When I, I just turned around and watched audiences and, and movie theaters, I watched them. I watched the expressions on their faces. They're all captivated, excited, or sad, or whatever. And I realized the impact it was having on their emotions. You see, if you couple an idea with, of change with an emotion, it, it impacts the mind and you remember it. And that's what it's done. It's emotive change that, that, that makes the, the reality come out in your own life. It's fixed in your mind. So when you realize you're being programmed, I tend to study movies uh, and not to enjoy them, but to study how they're done, what are the main messages in them, and and, and I don't fall into the trap or the actual story and get carried away and forget myself. So I I analyze them and study them, and you will find it so easy to, to, to not to get dragged in, and you'll also see what the main points are that they want to get across to the public. Now, one last question for you, Mr. Watts. Uh, the uh, I heard you say that that you have a lot of rare books in your uh, personal library, and yeah. some of the titles that I heard you give, I actually attempted to uh, go to some sources and get these books, and I couldn't I couldn't find them. But uh, if you could just recommend one, two, or three books mm-hmm. that uh, your listening audience uh, could go out and read and really. Uh, get some substantive uh, information out of that would help uh, you know, one to get uh, a break through this matrix, uh, what, what would those one, two, or three books be? I, I'd tell them to go in and get at least Tragedy and Hope by Professor Carol Quigley and the Anglo-American Establishment, also by the same author, followed by a book called Foundations, Their Power and Influence. Uh, very good book. It, it tells you the real agendas. They, they all have agendas. They're not charitable works at all. The idea being that if they can, they can get NGO groups out there, they become the real democracy. They demand what the what the leaders want them to demand, and government's only happy to stamp it into approval for laws for change. So that's the new system. Of, that's the Soviet system, actually, 
the so- Soviet means rule by councils or NGOs. That's the same thing. And the foundations run these NGOs. And the boys at the tops of the foundations, like the Rockefeller Center, give out. They've been giving out. And I have, I have video of it from inside their own meeting halls where Mr. Rockefeller gives out um, citizenship awards, world citizenship awards, to all the top players that you've heard in the media. All the big players get, get world citizenship awards. Well, how can they do that and then go back into politics and claim they're national and they're standing up for your rights? It's impossible. These guys are liars. They, they've already sworn allegiance to a world agenda, and they're, they're going full steam ahead, and they control all the big groups that you've heard of in your life uh, that demand changes or laws put into the books. These are the guys behind it. Can you would you agree with this statement that you can tell a lot about an individual by the people that they associate with? Uh... Oh yeah, sure you can. Yeah. Okay, because for example, uh, you know I have noticed that certain individuals tend to gravitate toward the people like the, what you just described the, the the intellects and they and many of these intellects are into this uh, eugenics and transhumanism and that sort of thing and I I. Personally, I just don't feel comfortable being around people that I know have these sort of evil agendas. But this person that I know tend to think that that uh, that you need to know the, the their 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 plans. So the best way to do that is to to be on the inside. But I just think that that's a very dangerous thing if a person has a, a, a you know constant uh, relationship or association with uh, with individuals like that because it may rub off on you. What do you think? Well, yeah, you have to be an incredibly strong person who knows yourself. The old saying, know thyself, has to be appreciated and understood because only then can you withstand anything and, and be, uh, or they'll attempt to indoctrinate you and it won't, it won't affect you if you know yourself and you know what they're doing and why they're doing it and how they're doing it. Very few people can stand up to that. But you're quite right. People who are into that kind of thing tend to be excited by that, the prospects of it. They tend to be a bit um, uh, domineering themselves. They, they like power. And that's the whole thing about psychopathy. The psychopath loves the one who's more superior than him, who has power. They worship them, in fact. They hate and fear those below their own ranks. And, and they, they'll do what they're told. Um, Pathocracy is another book out there. People should get their whole, uh, hold off. It goes through the nature of these leaders that goes hand in glove with the system we've had for thousands of years with money. Psychopaths at the top get there by clawing their way up, by destroying all competition and wrecking lives or whole nations, if need be, to get that power. And then they interbreed to produce more psychopaths to keep it running. They give to the people down below them a psychopathic culture of winners and losers. We're all trained at school to run out of that, those stalls, and become winners, and only a few succeed. We have a psychopathic system. We've got to get a humane system back, and it's a system for the people. Now, I'll be back again, and that's in the show tonight, I believe. And um, from Hamish, my dog, and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God, all your gods, go with you.